Who the bloody hell's that? Morning, Ange. Oh, Anthony. How are we? I'm really well. How are you? <laughs> Come on in. I will do, thank you. Did that sound staged? Just a little. No, it's fine. fine, yeah. I'm going to embrace the whole lounge pant thing next time. I'm going to put my University of New Hampshire lounge pants on. You should indeed. You're listening to the Corona Diaries, a sometimes random and often irreverent attempt to understand the psyche of singer Steve Hogarth. Hello, and welcome to chapter 132 of the Corona Diaries. Now, I messaged you, H, this week and said, it'll just be like old times, it's just me and you this week, isn't it? And you said yes. It'll be just the two of us, I said. and Because mm. I, I thought Phil had already been on. Yeah, and, uh, we're, we're draining, we're right at the bottom of the barrel now. <laughs> we are, yes. What did Trump say about the swamp? We've had the bus driver, well, I, I <laughs> let's have, get Phil. I would have had you further up the barrel if, 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 I, if I'd not realised you hadn't been on. <laughs> yeah, but I've been ill. Uh, well, right. I mean. I've had, to- oh. I've had toilet problems. Oh, have you? <laughs> food poisoning. I mean. when, when did you get food poisoning? Day two. Ooh. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah, you yeah, were. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 I was. I, yeah. It, it only went solid two days ago. Oh, dear. I know, I know. I've been, I've been running on water. Yeah. Well, not running on water. Water no. coming out. You know? <laughs> running on water. <laughs> running away from water. <laughs> like Jesus Christ. <laughs> You don't look bad on it. Christ only walked. Phil runs. Yeah, I've always looked good on the outside. It's the inside that's a mess. It's a mess. Mm. Right. I work on the outside. If you haven't worked out what's going on, Phil, Phil's here. Hello. Um, <laughs> which came as a bit of a surprise to me when I got the message. Mm. Uh, probably came as a surprise to you. When did he ask you, Phil? I, I, <laughs> it was a bit last minute. Well, yeah, yeah. He was looking at who, who he hasn't asked and thinking. Uh, I thought you'd done it. I know. He was Stand thinking. He, yeah, there was security at the gig last night. He thought, no, nah, I don't. No one's interested. Who else can I ask? <laughs> Couple of homeless. <laughs> the chef. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'll get that fairground bloke. Yes. The one who works on waltzes and chats up girls. <laughs> <laughs> and you look every, every inch the fairground bloke today. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. It's, it's all right. I work on it. Yeah, yeah. No, it's you've, you've managed it. Mm. You managed it. Thanks. Um, I don't know where we're going to go because it's a, it's a little bit of a surprise. This, so we'll have to see where where the day takes us. But one thing I'm going to start on. I'm going. I'm just showing everybody. I've been reading the web magazine from September. No, June 2012. Mm. Because there's a there's a like a six page article on you, Phil. Me, I haven't if seen I haven't seen that on. one. I'd have framed it. Hang on, hang on. I think it's it might be eight pages. You know. No way. <laughs> let's do one, two, three, four, five, six. Hang on. Seven, eight. Oh, hang on. Ten. No, there is. Ten there page is not. Special. There you go. On, on you Phil Brown. I'll give you a quid for it. Well, once I've once I've used it for today, I think I've probably had my worth out of it. So you can you can have it with pleasure. Um, but here, of the things I've learnt about you today, this is the one I'm really excited about. I think I've seen you play live. Oh bugger! <laughs> have you really? There you go. Yes. Oh, that's good. Where? 
Well, I, I, I was very much into my hair rock in the sort of late 80s, early 90s. Mm. So I did have the Heartland album. Oh. oh. And I think I saw you I think this is more of a confession on your part here. Well, yeah, well, I think I saw you supporting Mr Big. Oh, yes, you did, yes. <laughs> so I think I saw you at Rock City. Yes, you did, yeah. And uh, I had no idea you'd been in that band. Really? No. No, it's not at all. Until I read well, this. Oh, it's not a surprise. We weren't very successful. Well, you spent a lot of money. Yes, yeah, well, yeah, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> Just on clothes. You, you, well, you looked very good, didn't you? I if did. You look at all the Was it the me, me, me personally or the rest of well, the Well, as, as, as a collective, I won't, I won't, I'm not going to break mm. it down and embarrass anybody individually, but you had, a, you had that flowing locks and that, that proper glam yeah. hair rock look about you. I remember going to the, style, the stylist meeting with A&M Records and they, they told me to leave because I was already okay. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'd looked like that for years. The rest of the band looked like, well, it's hard to say, really. You should have sent the stylist an invoice. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're, well, you're, all, you're back, all right. You're back there now, aren't you, with the flying locks? I am. I'm, I am. I'm back come, to 1996. It's come full circle. I, I have. Full yeah. circle. Yeah. Well, I thought I didn't. I had no idea it would grow again. I thought it would just disappear at my age. But you know, you know, when lockdown came, I just thought, well, I won't cut my hair till we go back on tour. Not thinking the worst, but, but no, 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 it sprouted, and now I look like cousin it <laughs> on a bad day. So, right. So you were A and M, same mm. label that had bands like Gun and Dare, I believe, Absolute. and Brian Adams, actually, yes, if, we, yes, if we're going yes. to do that. Yeah. And uh, the Europeans. And the Europeans. Yeah, yeah. The connection is there. Yeah, yeah. Which one of which of the two of you who ended up owing A&M the most? <laughs> well, uh, being a singer... <laughs> Well, I have no per- idea what we are doing. <laughs> <laughs> I think personally or a band. As a band, yeah. Oh, I think I think we went down. <laughs> we went down. That's the way you put it. We went down for over. I think it was just under a million. Oh, oh that's impressive. Oh, we were nowhere near that. Mm. Uh, that's impressive. No, we were nowhere they, near that. But they I, must I, have I, had far we, more confidence in you, Phil, than no, 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 no. They I didn't have, have no, no. It was a tax thing, you know. I found out years later that 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 they were just letting us spend whatever we wanted to spend. What a shame! Uh, they and didn't we did let us spend what we wanted to spend. Eh? <laughs> you were a tax deduction. <laughs> um, I, that's what I found out. Yeah, yeah. Because you got when we did the album with Heartland. Halfway through making the album, A and M were bought out. By, I think it was Polydor or Polygram, and the A and R department disappeared, and uh, and that's when we were lumped with Gun and Dare. You're right, but because they weren't A and they weren't A and M acts, they were I think it was Polygram, Polydor or Polygram. Right. So we were just we were just landed thrown on someone's desk. David Rose, I remember him well, A <laughs> and R department. So we were just thrown on his desk, and he he just didn't really care. So they just said, let them spend what they want. So we did, you know. And eventually mm. got dropped, and uh, and that was it. But then that was at the back end of Hair Rock anyway, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were, we were, I mean, Nirvana came along, literally killed yeah, it, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. We were, we were a couple of years late, really, you know. Mm. Probably five years too late, to be quite honest. 
But it was quite a vibrant UK rock scene at the point, because obviously you got Thunder, Little Angels, yeah. you know. Oh, well, um, I'm trying I, to think of the, the Well, other I worked with them as well. What? Little L- Angels? Little Angels, yeah. yeah. Toby and the boys. Yes, yeah. The Almighty. Yeah, yeah, they were about the same sort of time. Yeah, 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 yeah. Cumbria rocks with them. Yeah. Yeah. But prior to that, and I've I've got this from your article, I need to drop the two words in the doolies, don't I? Yeah, yeah, go on then. (laughs) Kick him in the doolies, why don't you? Go on, go on. So so how did that all come about? Uh, I got a call one day from their manager and said and they said we've been watching you <laughs> I don't know what there was no YouTube videos then so it certainly wasn't anything illegal uh, yeah and they just offered me they offered me the gig you know to be in the duelies and I was I was I was doing alright you know nothing about um, and to be quite honest the first thing I did I actually said because I was you know I wasn't exactly unstoned at the time uh, I told him to. <laughs> I told him to piss off, <laughs> and I put the phone down on him. Uh, and then I thought about it for a while, and I thought um, I was at a crossroads with the band that was that I was actually in, and uh, I think because uh, I had John Beck in the band from it from it bites, and he'd just left because it bites were going back on the tour, and didn't fancy rehearsing anybody. So I thought about it, and I thought, and I, and I called them back. I said, "Well, I am interested, you know." Uh, and it was quite, you know, it was it was a, it was an interesting three years, about three years mm. I was with him. So yeah, and it was fun. It was useless <laughs> and stupid, but I don't think I've ever had as much as much fun as I had with that band because I had no responsibilities whatsoever and was allowed to do whatever <laughs> whatever I wanted to do. <laughs> and I did. And was just that was that just constant touring then? <laughs> yes. Mm. Everywhere, yeah, 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 constantly all year round. It was, it was a, you know, when was that? Nineteen eighty, oh, good lord, six, seven, five, six, seven. So there was, there was the live scene all over the world was was a lot more than it is now. You could, you mm. could, you could, you could be in a really bad band <laughs> tour forever. <laughs> so we did. <laughs> and what kind of venues were they playing at that point in time then? Um... It varied really, you know. We did, we did, you know, we did arenas. We did Seoul Olympics, you know. We, we were doing some of the gigs were big, some of them were, were dreadful, you know, as usual. Mm. But yeah, it was they had a fabulous following of, of old women, and you know, who used to frequent bingo halls. Um, but yeah, it was good. It was, um, it was, it was like I say, and it's funny because when you look back at what you've done in your career, and you and you you, you chat, you think about the things that you that you know. That were good and, and fun, you know. It, it, it was one of the that band were one of the times when I probably had the most fun in my life because I had no responsibilities and 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 when you've got no responsibilities, you don't really care what, what happens. You can you can kind of throw the boat out of it. So yeah, I look back on that as um, as quite a fun time, really. You know, but Heartland happened. You know, we we had um, uh, a keyboard player left, and we auditioned a keyboard player who used to be in a band called Virginia Woolf, um, who were signed to I think they were signed to Atlantic in in the States, and he got me involved with uh, with Heartland, kind of towards the end of the duly. So I was I was doing the both of the things at the same time, and then I had to make a choice. 
either even then about in, in 1986 I was earning quite a lot of money I was earning quite a lot of money with the dealers and I had to give it up for a 150 pound a week retainer with with A&M so it was a big it was a big um, a big decision to make but it's what I wanted what I wanted to do you know but then the fun stopped as I'm sure that's what happens when you know when it becomes real, you know, and it beca- every, everyone's there's big money and everyone's telling you what to do and what to wear, um, and uh, and it, it ceased to become. It was exciting, but it wasn't fun. The fun mm. the fun stopped really, you know, and it became business and horrible, you know, A and R people and record company people and oh, God. feeling insecure all the time. Yeah, that's the thing. Isn't all the it? time, you never feel secure. No. You lie in bed at night thinking, I wonder if anything happened for us today. I wonder if our manager did anything for us today. I wonder if the A&R man did any of those things he said he was going to do today. I wonder if we'll get on the Radio 1 A-list. And the answer's always, no, nothing. <laughs> and you usually find out six months later as well. You don't find out in real time no, that nothing's no, happening. No. You find out that six months ago nothing was happening when you yeah. really thought it was. Yeah. No, I, I, I mean, I, I was told by the producer five, six months before, because he'd, he'd gone over to uh, to L.A. to do uh, Queensryche, the uh, Empire, yeah, yeah. And he phoned me up and he said, and he 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 kind of mixed it and produced it for the American market. And he said to me, leave the band. He kept phoning me up saying, leave the band, leave the band. I've heard you're going to get draft. I've heard there's, not interest, there's no interest in you whatsoever over here. And I was like, oh, no, no chance, you know. I'm living a rock star lifestyle in Tottenham Court Road. <laughs> and I never thought it would happen, you know. And then uh, lo and behold, he was right, you know. I came home from Portugal one day after being on holiday and there was a white envelope on the on the floor saying your retainer will stop in, I don't know, three weeks or something, goodbye. And it was as, it was as short and as nasty as that. And that was it. Mm. It all stopped with no talk, nothing whatsoever. So, no. end of... So you didn't you didn't end up on any you didn't end up doing an American show or end up supporting because quite a lot of bands ended up getting a you know maybe a Queen or a Russia or something support. No, no, we only did um, we did the Mr. Big thing. We did we did some stuff with Thunder. You mm. know, we didn't we didn't you know we didn't really tour that much to be quite honest. You know, it was um, it was very. So I was sh- lucky to see you then. Well, it depends. How, it depends how you look at that, really. <laughs> Well, it's not held me back. <laughs> you know, I don't look at that as being one of the moments that that, that affected my life negatively. Negatively? Negatively. Right, I, no, I know no. it didn't, do not No. No, well, Mr. Big were a good band as well, you know, but, you know. Oh, they, they, they were a good band. It was funny because their, their, their singer, uh, he'd done all the backing vocals on, on, on Virginia Woolf's album. Eric the, Martin. Yeah, Eric Martin, yeah. So he'd done all the... He'd been like a backing vocalist for... For Chris Uzi, the singer, um, years and years ago, you know. But yeah, there was it was good. It was uh, you know they never spoke to us. Billy Billy Sheehan never he never spoke to anybody. But the rest of the band were cool guys, you know. Yeah, yeah. And Paul Gilbert's hell of a guitar, hell of a guitar player, mm, mm, especially when he's got an electric drill. Yeah. <laughs> the drill. Yeah, I was trying to think which way the, was it the drill tour. The, so the it must have been dr- the second album. The drill song. It was called. Yeah. yeah where they, they did speed licks with electric drills. We couldn't. We couldn't, we it, couldn't compete it? with that. <laughs> <laughs> 
not in the slightest. No, you had nobody with a, any form of electric power, tool then? A power tool. No, 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 no. 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 And that was, it was funny because I, I had to wear a cow, I had. If you look at all the photographs of Halton, I had a cowboy hat on. And this is why, you know, I, did, I wasn't happy. Was that I, was, I remember doing, I was, I was lucky enough to do the marquee before the original marquee on, on mm. Charing Cross Road before it closed down and I, and I remember going and thinking I'm, I'm taking this fucking hat off and you I mean I was I was raked over the coals by A&M for taking my hat off and going on stage with like really long hair and they're going you're the bloke with the hat and I'm like oh is that it? I've got a hat. <laughs> I've got to wear a hat. You know what I mean? It's like you've ceased to be who I, you are. Yeah, I had no. I, I realised I had absolutely, I had absolutely no, no say in 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 well anything really. You know. So yeah, that's what I said. It was exciting and it was cool, and it was probably what you work for as a musician to get a record deal. But it, it was certainly not in my eyes. It was certainly not fun. I'd had much, a lot more fun earlier on mm. with the doolies. And other bands, you know. Mm. I mean, uh, yeah, yeah. I think when you sit down with your old mates and you talk about, you know, things that have happened in your life, there always it seems to be always like old, you know, things that happened happened years and years ago. You know, I suppose but before political correctness came into being, <laughs> kind of get away with most stuff, you know. But not yeah. any, not anymore. So how do you then get from doing that? What's the transition from Heartland to being? Behind the mixing board. Oh God! You need more. You need seventeen podcasts, man. You know, and a book, well, no, and you a see, book. the web did it in ten pages. So yeah, yeah. you know, get through that in. Well, about I was five, ten minutes, when A and M when A and M dropped me. I was, I signed on the dole Camden to Camden. I was to sell them to Camden Dole office, and I signed. I was signing on the dole because I, I'd moved to London. Divorced my first wife, lost everything. This is a story that everyone knows. Um, and and I was living in a very expensive place in uh, in Tottenham Court Road, you know, and uh, with with no future whatsoever. I mean, it really was like you know after that letter from A and M, that was the end of the world, you know. Uh, and I just got a call from from the producer Jim Jim Barton, Jimbo Barton, and um, and he said, "What well, you, you know?" He knew that had been dropped. And he said, and he just said to me, go to Heathrow Airport on Thursday, and there's a there'll be a, collect a ticket. There's a ticket for you at the, at the desk, and I'll pick you up at JFK. So I kind of, um, I told me girlfriend at the time, you know, I'm off, um, and uh, I went uh, over to, um, to to America and started production. We started a business together, and we went straight to do a, a, another hair band called Trickster in New Jersey. So, I can't, from that moment, I never ever. Well, I, did, I played some stuff with Steve Perry, but, but I didn't play the bass anymore, and I, and I ceased to become alive. I mean, I was thirty-four then, and, and when we got dropped, I thought, I can't, I haven't got, I don't, I don't, I haven't, this is, a, I'm, I'm too old, you know. I'm not stupid. You got to start thinking of other 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 ways to to make a living and 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 stay in the music business and uh, as and not a, as a performer you know so for me it was i was just lucky that i had a good friend who bailed me out at that time who i literally have just spoken to him again he's moved back to australia an hour ago so 
so we, you know we, we've kept in touch you know we're, we're really our good friends we had we had some great times you know so he bailed me out really and I stayed in Los Angeles for probably five five six years um, doing production with him um, you know Steve Perry Queensryche we did quite a few Last Action Hero soundtracks you know, MTV Unplugged had just started, and we did a lot of yeah. we did a lot of kind of did a lot of that kind of stuff. You know, um, yeah, and and, and I, I came back to England after after the Queen's Right Promised Land album that we did, um, and I was uh, I was started to <laughs> this is really cool. I started working for Sanctuary. Hello, <laughs> in the corner there. And I used to work at um, at uh, Nomi Studios, kind of mixing mixing stuff, you know. And this, and one of the banders just said, "Oh, let come out on tour with us as a sound engineer." And I'm like, "No, nah, I don't, I've, you know, I don't do that." But in, in, you know, they, they they conned me, and and you know, Johnny Allen and Bob Ward from the production office, they said, "Oh, you'll be all right." So I went out and I did I did a you know live sound tour manager stroke driver around Europe with one band um, and then who were they? Uh, well they were called Kick Kick right. they, they went nowhere they were like Def Leppard on acid it was really weird uh, but yeah but so I started doing that I wasn't very good at it I, I'm like, I mean you know I've, I've, I've spoken to other studio engineers who delved into live sound and said it absolutely not it's it's a completely different a different world altogether you know um yeah so you know and i'll cut a long story short marillion actually signed to sanctuary when i was there I didn't realise. Yeah, yeah, I was signed to one of their labels when I was there, and I thought, oh my lord, <laughs> doesn't it was like a graveyard for band sanctuary? I thought at the time because they were <laughs> they seemed to be just passing money about from company to company. You know, it was a, it was a very strange setup. Um, yeah, so and and they once again, I was I, I was in fact the band that I went out with, they asked me to produce their album, so. It was the year 2000, it was a new millennium, and I'd done 13 weeks pre-production in, uh, in Sussex, I'm in the studio in Sussex, and I'd block-booked uh, the church in Lincoln, a residential studio, for three, three months. Uh, and I got a call from the record company on New Year's Eve, on New Year's Eve 2000, say, this is all they said, uh, we've decided to go with another producer. And that was it. And they put the phone down. <laughs> and I was looking at nothing, you know. I was looking at, like, space. And I, and, and I was so disillusioned with record companies and that whole thing. Um, and, that, you know, and I just started... I thought, I, I just want to do... I want to go to work. Somebody give me some money and I'll come home. So I started working in every shitty rock club in Camden... And Kentish Town, and, and you know Camden, you know, uh, and I was doing, you know, I'd be getting forty quid a night to do five bands, you know. But I did learn how to become a sound engineer, and and eventually I went to Dingwalls, which is where I met Steve. You know? Where we met. Yeah. Mm. So that's the kind of they Marillion came to Dingwalls to do a gig, and I was there. I was working as a house engineer at Dingwalls, and that's where where I met Steve and. From there, twenty twenty one years later, 
21 years later. Oh, yeah, it's been that above. long. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been that long. 21 yeah. years later, I'm still here. <laughs> so am I. <laughs> I know you've just con- you really condensed that down, but that's to have done everything. In terms of look, you've, oh, there's loads I, missing. I believe you started off on guitar, then you went to bass. That's right, yeah, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, 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 yeah. I was a guitarist for most of my life, and then and I was working with a show band in Carlisle called uh, what are they called? Jimmy Henshaw's. Oh, I can't remember. Um, and he, I came on one day. In fact, that he was he was the first. He had a studio in his house in Carlisle, and he did all the original demos for it bites. For their right. when, when they got their record deal, they went to his studio, and I used to li- I lived there in Carlisle with him, um, and it was kind of a cabaret, big cabaret show band that he ran. And I came I came on one day, and he said, "I've sold all your gear, the the bass players packed in. Go down to in Northern Sounds, it was in Carlisle, Botchergate in Carlisle, and and get a bass, and you're playing the bass by the weekend." And uh, I, I didn't, I didn't have the heart to argue. <laughs> I, was, I was living in his house, <laughs> so I did. I, and I must admit, I, I enjoyed it. You know, I enjoy. I, I, you know, I did enjoy playing the bass. You know, so it was forced on me by somebody else, as you know, as opposed to me making that choice. Although mm. I know Bernard Edwards probably changed my life to actually wanting to become a bass player. I thought mm. it was when I heard Bernard Edwards. I thought oh, all of a sudden it was like the bass was the song. And I thought, yeah. oh, this is pretty cool, you know. So, uh, yeah, uh, that's what made me want to be a bass player. But you went from guitar to bass. Mm. You then went from being band to being um, production and engineering, mixing, mm. but but in the studio, to then being monitors and front and of house. I know, it's terrible. <laughs> Obviously not very good at any of them. <laughs> I mean, what's left? What's left? What's left? <laughs> band management? Truck driving? Mm. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I could be a truck driver, and I get asked to do the podcast sooner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'd have, been, you'd have been on weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> you can drive hot buses. Uh, so uh, turn the temperature that? way up. No, I'm getting a bit old now. I don't know, really. You know, you, you, just, you know, things come through. You know, you never know what's going to happen around the corner. You know, I mean, I'm going on tour next week with Frank Dunnery. I've only got two days off when we get back, and then I go back out with. Tombstone Dunnery, the new blues legend from New York. Tombstone Dunnery, <laughs> it's going to be, it's going to be fabulous. <laughs> I was going to say, do you still, do you still get on with Frank? But clearly, mm, mm, okay, yeah, so yeah, next, I don't know, I've got two days off, and then I go. We're in, in strange enough, in Carlisle, which is where I used to live. So we're, mm. we're starting off in Carlisle. We've got, a, it's only a short kind of gig. And then and then I've got another break, and then we're going. Me and uh, young Stephen here are going to where are we going? Poland, Warsaw. Warsaw yeah, yeah Warsaw. we're going to pop into Warsaw in a fortnight. So you're yeah. working even in between that, mm. doing with Frank. Mm. Blimey. Yeah, I know. I know. You're just going to be. Oh, we've had two and a half years off. It all came in. At, it all came in at once. I just said yeah. I said yes to everything. <laughs> I'm going to get the remains of Phil Brown when I go to Warsaw. <laughs> just bits of him in a yeah, bag. In a bag, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a lot of. Have you done much work with Frank then? Because I've seen Frank a couple of times. And yes. I'm yeah. now trying to think whether you were behind the desk and I didn't know it. Yes. Yeah. I've, I've been doing this. I've. I've I'll be doing the kind of Frank Dunnery. It's funny because I, 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 it bites and and me. We live it. We, we were all born in the same town, 
So mm. John Beck was my neighbour. You know, he was like it was like one of our next door neighbours. You know, so I've known uh, that band. Or they used to come and watch us rehearse, and we used to go and watch them rehearse. And God, like it won't be late seventies, early eighties. You know, so I've known it bites for a long, long time. And I knew Frank's brother, who was uh, Barry Barry Donnery, who was, and Frank would admit it. He was a much better guitar player than he is, and Frank's is a quite extraordinary guitar player. Yeah, he's very, very good. But his brother. Was was amazing, you know, and and his brother's Frank's hero, you know, and I knew I knew Barry a, a lot, a, 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 you know, a lot longer. Barry's more my age than Frank, really. And I told Frank it was kind of funny because I was chatting to him, um, and I told him this story that that probably oh God, I can't remember what year it was, but um, Barry used to be in a band called Necromandus, who who were uh, they supported Black Sabbath a lot, and and they had a lot to do with Ozzy Osbourne, and and. He used to live in, in this little terrace house in uh, in Egremont, and I had a van. I, I was I was the bloke who had the van, so I used to go and pick Barry's gear up. And I remember walking into into his house, and we had, they had coal fires then, and there was this little kid sat on a stool in front of the coal fire with a Stratocaster that was bigger than him, and I would walk past him and get the Marshall or the Marshall four by twelves and come back out, and the little kid playing the guitar was Frank. You know, and Frank didn't know that. I told him a few years ago, and he couldn't believe that I'd been in his house and uh, and and you know, and I'd knocked about with his brother because I used to when I was when 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 I was at school, I used to every every dinner time I used to knock off school and go to the YMCA and watch Frank's brother and their band rehearsing in the, in the YMCA in Whitehaven every every day for for months and months and months and. You know, I think I think it was there were great influence on me wanting to be in a band was 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 Frank's brother. So yeah, we go back. You know, we have we we do have quite a history. You know, mm. but I've got an It Bites tour in January as well. The new, you know, because it's going out as it is doing the It Bites thing now. The um, in January we've got another another tour with Frank. So, yeah, because he stopped playing a lot of the material for quite a while, didn't he? Yes, yeah, yeah. He didn't do the, yeah. He didn't. He, he didn't want to call himself. It, it, I mean, I've done it. I've done it bites with John, you know, mm. Mitchell, um, and I was, you know, no disrespect for, to John because he is a great guitar player. But it just, you know, being friends and knowing their music, it just didn't sound the same to me. It didn't sound like it bites, and it was just because Frank wasn't there, you know. And, I, and I've done. It bites music with Frank, with with a load of other musicians, and it sounds more like it bites. So it's, you know, because it's him, you know. Mm. So yeah, so I'm quite excited. Yeah, that'll be quite good next next January, I think it is. So that's wedged in between. So it's finishing off where you are. Mm. Then it's Frank. Mm. Then it's uh, Young Stephen. Yes, Germany. Uh, we're coming back to Germany as well, aren't we? We are. Yeah, we're doing three shows in Germany, and then we're doing Oxford as we usually do. Yeah. End of December. Yeah. yeah. With you probably, and yes. I mean that's become a thing, hasn't it? It, it does probably, seem to become a thing. Yeah, but I've got probably come I, I, unless you're busy. No, no, I, I'm, I'm, I'm free, and I'm looking forward to it. But I don't know what I'm going to do about a question because that Christmas Carol question last year was superb, and I don't know how I'm going to top that. Well, well, don't then. <laughs> All right, okay. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm going to come on, but I'm not going to be as good as last year then. Yeah, I think I think that'll make me look better. 
Is that all right? <laughs> he, did, need to. He, he did upstage him a bit, so I think he needs. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want you swanning in in a cape or anything, you know. No, no, no. I'm I had not even thought about I'm, that until I'm, you mentioned it. I'm going to swan in in a cape, all yeah. right. I'm going to do the sound in a cape. You told me to do the sound in a cape <laughs> on stage. Often, I've often said you need a cloak. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, a pink one, <laughs> pink satin cloak at the desk. <laughs> I, I think you need to wear that cowboy and, hat. And a light show. Get your hands to put, put a few lights on you. No, so no. So you change your colour occasionally. <laughs> I can't wear the cowboy hat. No, <laughs> no. I think you should do the cowboy hat. <laughs> no, no, no. A&M put me off that for life. No, no. Yeah. I don't think you should do the Thank cowboy Thank you, Steve. No, I wouldn't do that. No. Right. Maybe a horned helmet or something. I could see you in spurs, though, Phil. <laughs> I used to wear spurs, yeah, yeah. I had, a, I, I had what I remember. There's a photograph of me in I don't know, Melody Maker or something, and I had something on, and they called it a chainmail cock piece. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I could see you in that. I don't know, I don't know what it was. Going through airport it, security, it refusing to take it off. Phil <laughs> Brown sporting a chainmail cock piece. <laughs> I thought, yeah, why not? (laughs) Those beautiful moments when the episode title just presents itself. (laughs) I could see you in a chainmail cock piece. I know, I know. I I wore it on stage as well, you know. It was a bit cumbersome with the bass because it used to scratch the bass and my chronic. I'm surprised you didn't have that welded on, Mm. you know, for for future (laughs) security visits. To be fair, I'm surprised you didn't have that welded on at work as an episode title as well. Yeah. Uh, should we go for a bit of diary? Have you have you re- recorded it already? H? No, I haven't recorded it already, but I have I have read it. Oh, okay. But uh, I did read it over an hour ago, and, and I've completely forgotten it. Oh, I wasn't going to ask you anything about it because I've not read it yet. Good. Good. Um, it's, it's, I thought we'd come back and, and, and chat a bit more with. With with uh, Chainmail Cockpiece himself, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the the prince probably going to regret I ever mentioned that. <laughs> the prince of heavy <laughs> silver <laughs> jewellery, <laughs> the prince of cockpiece. He's going to call me on stage now, ladies and gentlemen, at the sound desk. The prince of cockpiece. Yeah. Right. Okay. And just just before we disappear off, do you need a minute? How's the stomach? Are we all right? Is everything <laughs> settled? Me personally, yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm on solids now. I'm on, right. Yeah, two days on solids. Yeah. Kind of, what did you start back on rusks? Did you do rusks first? No, I don't. Or? I don't mean solids going in. Oh, it means. <laughs> no, you've misread, but you misread, you misinterpreted that. I mean solids coming out. It's been right. uh, it's been right. water for three weeks. Right, three weeks. Yes, exactly. Three weeks. Yeah, yeah. But I haven't felt too good. Oh, you do look really well then. You shouldn't look that good. Bearing in mind mm. you've had it for three weeks. Well, you know, everyone says at least you lose weight when you've got diarrhoea. So yeah. every, every cloud. Every cloud. Mm. Well, let's go to a bit of diary. Uh, H, have no idea when it is, where you've gone. The diarrhoea diaries this week. <laughs> um, where am I? Um, let me have a quick... <laughs> a quick gin. <laughs> a quick gin. Yeah, yeah, we need to refresh glasses here, don't we? Yeah, we do. We do. Visit Dr Tanqueray. Oh! Oh, yes, I was off to Oslo. I was yeah, off, off to Oslo. I was off to Oslo for a, a truly horrendous gig. It was, it was even by our standards. It, uh, it, 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 it malfunctioned on a technical level that that actually, to this day, might never have been beaten. Uh, right. To the point where I, what have you lost? Tonic. Oh, that's the only one I had. 
thought you were professional. (laughs) (laughs) We're out of tonic. It's a disaster. I'm not kidding. He asked me to come and he said, come, there's lots of gin. Well, Well, there is lots of gin. I could be in Westfield Shopping Centre now. Oh, I'm sorry. No, I did only have the one bottle of tonic. (laughs) Rubbish. Anyway, diary. Diary. Exit stage left. Yes, I was going... Yes, yes. Let me take you to Oslo for a, a technical malfunction on a grand scale. Friday, 23rd of January. Home, Oslo. Woke for the third time at 7.30am to the sound of little M's restless noises. I have a cold which has blocked up my nose, throat and head, so Lynetta volunteered to do last night's feeds. M still wakes up at around midnight and then again around 5am for night feeds. I was grateful not to have to get up as I went to bed feeling truly awful. Didn't feel quite so bad at 7.30, despite a headache. The headache was probably down to last night's second helping of medicinal cognac, though. We had to leave at 9.30 today to begin the journey to Oslo, so there was much to do. L and M are coming too, so there's much preparation involved. Clothes, bottles, milk... Soothers, nappies, baby wipes, skin creams, more clothes, and more clothes. And then there's Lynetta's stuff. And then there's my stuff. Most of my stage clothes, princely Indian robes and undertaker's suit for the Invisible Man, were packed at the studio last night. But I brought a couple of shirts home for rapid laundry, and they were hanging above various radiators around the house. I packed the usual paraphernalia, laptop, power supplies, phone charger, headphones, leads and the all-important passports, along with all-important socks, in between lowering the loft ladder repeatedly to gain access to printers and my old boots. The word from Oslo is that it's rainy, snowy, slushy and to bring Wellington boots. I have some fabulous German fighter pilot's boots given to me a few years ago by, well, a German fighter pilot, and they provide a perfect barrier to the bad weather, so I donned those before leaving. It took several journeys to load the car with suitcase, computer case and the usual baby bags, hardware and transport. People take less gear up the Himalayas. The journey to Heathrow was uneventful, thank heavens. I have recently been forced to miss a flight to Warsaw after getting stuck on the M40 in an enormous traffic accident tailback, so I'm always a little nervous now until I get to the airport. We were travelling from Terminal 5 for the first time, and Frenchie, our tour manager, had pre-booked our parking at the business car park nearby. We were lucky to find a bus already waiting at the stop, so we bundled little vibes onto the bus, along with the bags and pushchair. At the terminal, there was mild amusement at check-in, as it seems that he has been added to John Cameron's ticket, not mine, as a travelling infant. We managed to sort this out eventually after the check-in girl phoned the gate 
just in case there was any confusion. I was frisked twice at security, maybe he was enjoying himself, and we went and had a spot of breakfast in the Giraffe Café. The burger wasn't up to much, but the coffee was the best I'd had in months. Vibes had to be repeatedly stopped from eating the colouring-in crayons. Al took him for a change of nappy while I killed time. I gave Dave Megan a call to see how he's doing. His wife, Jane, is currently battling leukaemia. Awful. He sounded well and told me that she's doing okay after a bone marrow transplant in December. The plane was 20 minutes late taking off, normal for Heathrow, and I spent the flight writing this diary. Vibes was reasonably well behaved, although he eventually got a bit bored with the confined space and began complaining. I walked him up and down the aisle for a while, which gave him plenty of opportunity to flirt with the other passengers. Well, he's a single boy. Upon landing, we could see that Norway was under snow and the snow was still falling outside the window. Proper winter. Although we'd managed to leave the pushchair at the door of the plane before takeoff, we weren't so lucky on landing, and I had to carry vibes along the four-kilometre-long but beautifully wooden-floored corridor from the plane to the baggage hall. The baggage system at Oslo Airport is fully automated. In other words, it doesn't work. And so we had to wait for almost half an hour before the last of the cases and equipment came through. Finally got out into the snowy street and boarded a very nice coach which took us the 40-minute journey to Oslo. There were a number of signs at the side of the motorway about pig dags. Now, in English farming circles, dags would describe the small bits of shit which end up stuck to the wall around a sheep's bottom. So I couldn't help but chuckle. Lynetta, understanding the lingo, informed me that this did in fact refer to winter tyres being necessary. Arrived at the Hotel Opera and checked in whilst texting John Arnavilbo of the band Gispacho to see if he was likely to have time for a quick half in the bar. They have a show tonight and he was about to sound check, so he said it was unlikely and that he'd see us later at the gig. As the evening passed, however, my cold began to take its toll and I decided I would have to go to bed once we'd got little vibes off to sleep. Elle later changed her mind too and decided to stay home. We decided to meet up with the Norwegians for lunch tomorrow instead. Went to bed at nine and slept pretty well. Not very rock and roll. Vibes only woke up once around 5am for a feed and Lynetta took care of that. At seven he woke again, but we managed to get him back off to sleep for another hour around half seven. So, all in all, I had something resembling a much-needed good night's sleep, or as near as I get to one these days. Sunday, 24th of January. Oslo Rockefeller. Woke around 8.45 and Elle got up and changed Vibe's bum while I pretended to snooze. The cold hasn't really improved or worsened. Fortunately, it hasn't gone to my voice, although my nose will be pretty blocked for tonight's show. She offered me another half hour in bed while she took Vibes down to breakfast. I couldn't sleep, so I got up and joined her. Most of the boys appeared in the breakfast room. Mark arrived with a book under his arm, 
London, a biography. So far, mostly about open sewers, crime and the constant possibility of being arrested and hanged for just about anything, whether guilty or not. Hanging being the only form of entertainment in, I'm guessing, the 16th century. And we worry about the credit crunch. We returned to the room and I watched the snow going past the window. It was going sideways and upwards, simultaneously. That's not something you see every day. Back down to reception to say hi to Stephanie Ringway, who had flown in from Paris to see the show and had brought Vibes a little present. We opened it, a bib with his name on it and a cuddly sheep. Upon close inspection, I can report no dags. I was feeling crappy again, so had a quick shower before meeting up in reception with John and Lisa. John is famously generous. Gaspacho are, quote, amateurs. This means he has a proper job in Norway and always seems to have masses of disposable income. He's either pathologically generous or loaded. Definitely the former. And my main mission of the early part of the day is to try and stop him paying for everything. He's already lending me his guitars and backline for the show, so I should be buying the drinks. Well, I failed. I managed to buy the first round, which turned out to be a coffee for John and a Diet Coke for Lisa. John then took over with the buying of drinks and we got onto the hard stuff. I never bought a drink for the rest of the afternoon. I was back on the medicinal cognacs, and as I write this, I'm feeling much better. Thomas and his girlfriend, Lena, arrived with their 16-month-old little girl, Leah. They arrived in hotel reception from the street, looking wet and very cold. It's about zero degrees outside, and it hasn't stopped snowing all day. There's a bitter and damp wind blowing, too. No wonder John thought our best option was to remain inside the hotel. Thomas is among the funniest men I have ever met, and he wasted no time in launching into bizarre and surreal observations about life. His somewhat manic intensity is balanced perfectly by John's warmth. They really make a great double act. They've been friends since they were young boys, and it's heartwarming to be around and to witness such a lifelong friendship between two people. They usually have me in fits, and today was no exception. The girls caught up, exchanged baby world experiences, and giggled while I passed my reading glasses around and everyone tried them on in turn. Thomas told us what we looked like. John was declared to be someone who would complain a lot in restaurants, while I was a, quote, metal detector guy, unquote. He put them on himself and he looked like such a freak no one could decide who he might be, possibly a deranged philosopher or shrink. I asked Frenchie, the tour manager, to call me when the band feel they're half an hour away from needing a singer. It's now 5.30, and there hasn't been a call yet, so I reckon I'll wander up there and acquaint myself with the full horror of soundcheck with hired equipment. They're probably still busy building their own guitars and keyboards. The afternoon social with John, Thomas and the girls turned out to be the high point of the day. There were even more technical problems at the gig than I could have predicted at my most pessimistic. 
Frenchie texted me to say not to hurry and that 6.30 was a more realistic arrival time for me. Then 7pm. Lynetta wanted to come over to the venue with little vibes, so we left the hotel around 6pm and walked into town with Stephanie R, where we found a cafe near to the Rockefeller, and I ordered a steak for £20. Actually, not bad for Oslo, where you can pay 10 quid for a burger in McDonald's. We eventually gained entry to the club around 7. The band were on stage, looking somewhat weary and frazzled. The guitar amplifier had already blown fuses, the keyboard rig wasn't working, and the monitors had yet to be set. I did my best to set levels of the few things that were working. The guitars that John had lent me were fine, and I soon had them sounding good in my in-ears. A further two hours passed before the doors to the club were opened at 9pm, by which time Mark seemed to have the keyboards functioning. Just as well, because time was up. Once again, Marillion, the band that rehearses for two months for a one-month tour and sound checks for five hours for a two-hour show, were still not ready. There was just enough time to have a quick chat with Smick Hardgrave, our old personal assistant, and his Swedish wife Helen, who had made the journey across from Stockholm before it was time to get into my stage clothes. We went on stage at 10pm and everything immediately went wrong. Steve R started Real Tears for Sale and all seemed fine until Ian came in on drums at a much slower tempo. The band slowed down to his tempo while I wondered what was going on in Ian's monitors. Clearly not right. We're running click tracks on this tour and we have backing vocals on tape. A wall of vocals thundered in in completely the wrong place during the verse. This has happened once before in Inverness, and it means Ian hasn't got the click track. So from now on, all the backing vocals would be in the wrong place. Real Tears is a pretty complicated piece of music, so I could see nothing but disaster ahead. This was no way to start a show, so I found myself, for the first time in my career, waving at the audience and walking off stage. Pete soon followed me. I think he'd come to the same decision. The rest of the band played on for some time until they realised I wasn't coming back. I was quite relaxed about it. I just sat down on a chair backstage and waited for the band to show up. My feeling was that, in this instance, it was better if we simply returned to the stage when the problem has been fixed and start the show again properly. Phil Brown, our monitor engineer, appeared looking about as tense as I've ever seen him. Not very. And assured Ian that it was a problem with the reverb level going sky high for no particular reason and that it would now be okay. Are you sure? Yes, I'm sure. We returned to the stage. Don't worry, I said. I'll make a speech. When I got to the mic, I explained to the crowd that I had realised I was wearing the wrong underwear and had returned to the dressing room to remedy the situation. Well, it seemed as good an excuse as any. The show progressed quite well from here, although the keyboard sounds that I was supposed to be playing from my remote keyboard at the front never really happened. I got around this by using whatever I could access from the keyboard direct. These were approximations, but it was still music. 
Mark's sounds were often a bit muted, digitally glitching or plain absent throughout the set. Over the years we've got used to this and I comfort myself in the knowledge that Roderick, our sound engineer, is probably compensating for most of it in the auditorium and that 95% of the audience won't even notice it. As long as we, particularly me, are putting out a good vibe, the crowd have a good gig. Well, I was enjoying myself throughout the show and all the technical problems were amusing rather than depressing me. I became more than a little worried, however, when my voice began to get increasingly hoarse. Looks like my cold was taking its toll on my vocal cords. Managed to scrape through to the end of the show and left the crowd singing Happiness is the Road at the very end. They sang well and appeared to be in great spirits. Phew. I'd consumed quite a lot of tequila and Red Bull during the show and by the end I think I was pretty well pickled. I lay on the dressing room floor for half an hour, talking to the people who came and went. Can't remember who exactly. But John Arne popped in and said that the sound had been, quote, interesting, unquote. Indeed. Talked a bit more to Smick and Helen. Helen sounded sloshed. John's wife, Lisa, wandered in, also hammered. I decided against socialising any further, no more drink, and returned to the hotel. When I got back, Lynetta was sleeping. I showered and cleaned my teeth before getting into bed. How did it go, she said. I rattled on for about half an hour about the gig, life, the universe and everything, occasionally getting the giggles, occasionally bursting into tears and at one point suggesting we should change our surname to Clear Mountain. And we're back. Hey. And quite a lot's happened in the few minutes while you've been gone. I know you've been listening to the diary, obviously, but in, in this little bit of the world, Phil, Phil's been a comeback again. Yes. Um, H has had a, a second grandchild. <laughs> no wonder I'm tired. No wonder he's tired. Uh, and, all, and all whilst he was reading the diary. Mm. And and we've refilled the gin. Yeah. And you've refilled the gin. Pre-mix. You're on pre-mix though now, aren't you? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Pre-mix. That's what professionals do before they get off the tour bus. We pre-mix their gin and tonic uh, in case they run right. out of tonic at an inopportune moment. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so that that diary entry takes us to Oslo and and a technical nightmare of a gig. I think you mentioned. Oh lord, yeah, mm. yeah. It was real tears for sale. Um. I think I think that's what, why we chose to open for, with that. I'll never know in a million no, years, but no, we did, and um, it was all hired equipment, and so there was massive problems. With keyboard rig didn't work, guitars didn't work. I mean, yeah, <laughs> I nearly said something dreadful then, but I didn't. Um, and um, you know, a lot of it had been loaned, a lot of it had been hired, and. Um, they, it took them all day to sort it out. They were sound checking for hours and hours and hours, even before I turned up, and then I turned up, and it was still a bit, a bit grotty. And then we went on stage and to play Real Tears for Sale, and it just went completely to hell. Uh, Rothers started, 
And then Ian came in in a total other tempo, and I mean a total other tempo, not not a bit slower or a bit faster. I mean another place. And I and and I heard Ian come in, and I thought, oh my God, what on earth has he heard? What's what's he hearing in his cans? And then all these backing vocals came hammering in halfway through <laughs> verse one, and I thought, well, they're supposed to be on the end. Shit, there's no way, there's no way we're getting through this. And I thought, so I, I thought I have one option, and that is just to go. So I just waved and walked off. <laughs> So we'd been on stage for about a minute and a half. And I went, I, I went backstage, put my feet up, opened a beer, and then Pete appeared, looking ashen-faced, um, whilst the rest of the band carried on playing. And me and Pete sat backstage thinking, I wonder how long it'll take them to cotton on that we're, we've gone. They might get to the end of the set. But um, they eventually appeared. And... Uh, we, we we went out and then Phil appeared actually. Um, Crying. <laughs> I said about as stressed as I've ever seen him. And then in brackets, not very close brackets. <laughs> and and uh, it we, we had something had happened, and I think the click track had gone into a monster reverb. So Ian was get, was getting something that sounded like a, I don't know, a woodpecker in a cave <laughs> um, that he couldn't follow. Um, but I, they managed to sort that out. And then we went back on again and, and uh, you know, then, then it was all right, but at no point was it really very good. No. Hmm. And, what, and Phil, in that situation, there's literally nothing you can do, is there? Because if, it, if the tech's going wrong and it's all playing in the wrong Time well, they're never, and they're never, places. No, they never used to be. Not in those days, but now there's Uber. You, know. <laughs> Uber. you can always go. <laughs> when in doubt, call Uber. <laughs> leave, leave completely. Well, no, no, there was there was nothing I no. could do, and because it was the first song of the show, I thought that the you know the most elegant solution to this is to start it all again. You know, to take ten minutes and come out and go. Now, you you didn't notice the other thing that happened there, did you, ladies and gentlemen? Because um, we're good. This is actually the front of the show now. So forget that. That was just a little, a thing which you must forget. I made up some excuse about having the wrong underwear on or something and having to go back and change. <laughs> yeah. But if you wonder, I mean, you know. It, it was a technical issue, and I think um, it took a while. That's why we travelled with the Midas desk, especially the monitor desk. I think at that gig, it was it wasn't it was the in-house monitor rig, which which you know the, the monitor mix is so technical. Mm. Um, it, it, you know, it, it, it went wrong on the monitor desk in a in a big way. You know, uh, and, and ever since, probably then. With, with that kind of experience, we, we, that's why we travel with, with with what you know. I know everyone thinks it's, it's, it's outrageously large and heavy, um, but it works, you know, and, the, and 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 it keeps the band happy on stage as a monitor mix. Because every time we've tried to use digital desk, it's always kind of gone right. It's always kind of gone wrong somehow. <laughs> so you know, and that was a that was a digital desk, uh, the monitor desk at Oslo, and it, it went horrifically wrong. You, 
you, I guess you need you need to be able to see. If you're used to what's in front of you mm. and you're used to the layout and everything, it's far easier to see and work out a problem and try and get a fix than if you're going through menu after menu after menu after menu. Mm. Yeah, that that stuff should be kept strictly to studio work yeah. where you've got 15 minutes mm-hmm. to change yeah. an EQ, you know. Or, oh, it needs a bit more 1K. Give me 15 minutes, I'll just do that. Mm. But live... You, you can't be doing with all of that. No. You, no, you've you got to know where everything is, haven't you? Everything <laughs> has to have Muscle memory. In, in the moment, yeah. Mm. Um, or you're doomed, which, mm. which you, we, we, well, you were. we have to. <laughs> you were doomed. <laughs> we were doomed on that occasion. <laughs> oh, dear. But they're the things you tend to remember. You know, you've, a gig has to be incredible for you to remember it. Yes. Or, or just rotten. Mm. And you you could probably list the, the ten most rotten before you can list the incredible ones. Yeah. They, they, they're the it's the trauma yeah. that sticks in your mind. Yeah, it's like the South Africa, you know, the South American tour we did. We we talk about <laughs> everything that was so bad, <laughs> but they're the cool things to talk about. <laughs> you know, if we had a great gig, we don't. Did we talk about that? No, no, really. no, no. It was a great gig. You oh, took no. try to check in for that flight you know, in exactly. Buenos Aires yeah, yeah, when yeah. the check-in clerk got halfway through and just walked away and never came back <laughs> midway through. Well, mm. while you stand there going, "What is he coming back? What just mm. happened?" Yeah. Um, I wonder. I wonder where my case went. He's gone. <laughs> <laughs> you see, it's got nothing about. It's nothing about music whatsoever. <laughs> Getting there and getting back. Do you two ever stop to think how much time you spend together? Um, oh, good lord! We've we've spent a fair amount of time mm, together. Yeah, yeah, yeah we, we have. Yeah, you know, either certainly in the same room, if not practically on one another's laps. Mm. You know, on planes together, in cafes. Mm. Um, it's a good thing, you know. As a sound engineer, it's a really it's a fabulous thing to be doing the sound film in inverted commas, your best friends, mm. you know, because it, 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 you know, it ceases to become a job. As a, it's more of a, you know, you want you want the very best for your friends. It's like a travelling family circus. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and I think for me, I, you know, it does make a difference having been, even though strangely unsuccessful. Um, on the other end, I've been on Steve, on the band's end of the of of what this is, and knowing how how you know the sound and the monitors and everything is is uber important, you know, and it, and it makes it easier for me because I know that and 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 I'm I'm fully aware of it, of of the of the band's feelings all the time, which is um, you know. I'm, I, you know, there's lots of great sound engineers in the world, and you know, obviously, you know, but but when you're in tune with the band and everything they play, it makes you, it, you know, you know, there's no one can do a better sound, you know, for the band than me, and that's not being big-headed. That's just being, I know, I just know every note of every song, yeah, and how people, and I can, I can see how, you know, what's going on on stage and how to adjust to that. And it's it's a different kind of world for me. Even doing Frank, you know, it's it's not the same. It's it's like you know trying to make your best mates, you know, really enjoy what they're doing, you know, and that's different, you know. 
Well, you, you invariably do, Phil. Thank you. You invariably do, man. And we haven't talked about this that much, but it's been implied, I think, a little bit with when we've spoken to people like Lucy or people, you know, um, like Phil or whoever it might be. But the the Marillion family is known to the fans as the Marillion family. It isn't just the five of you. It is Phil. It is Lucy. It is Frenchie. It is all the people around and about because we've got to know you all. Yeah, that's kind of amazing as well, isn't it? The, the... Oh, I mean, that's unique. I don't. I can't think. There'd be many other bands, if any, would have that. No, no, where the where the kind of the, the the crew and the management and you know even just people who work in the office are mm. are, are almost as famous, you know, in the, amongst the core fan base. Anyway, um, I mean, how many people know Stephanie? How many people know Lucy? Yeah. How many people know Mark? How many people know Frenchie? How many people know Phil? It's just, you know, it is it is. It's not one or two. It's a lot. No, I think I've, I've even made the bus driver a minor legend. <laughs> well, well, yes, yes. <laughs> I think he'll tell you he was a legend way before he did that. <laughs> I, I think he told us he was a legend yeah, while yeah, he was right. on the podcast. <laughs> well, he is. Why <laughs> <laughs> he is? <laughs> but I think with you two, as particularly, because the the H Natural shows essentially it's the two of you, isn't it? You know, yeah. you go jetting off around the world, and it's kind of the two of you. Yeah. It is. Yeah. It's like two idiots abroad. You know that program. Yeah. That idiot. program. Yeah, yeah. Mm. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're like a cross between that and, and <laughs> White House and Mortimer goes fishing, aren't you? Yes. <laughs> Getting across the world with no tour manager. It's, yeah. it's not easy. Yeah. You know, you know, getting getting a flight on time. It's yeah. not easy. When somebody comes and tells you the airline no longer exists, that kind of thing. Yeah. Or even never existed. Oh, yeah. On the Madrid one. Was it at Madrid when we were we were, oh. we, were, we, were fl- we were flying home to Madrid from Madrid and we we were on the on the the motorway going to the airport and the queue coming the other way. It was bigger than it was bigger than the universe, and we both looked at each other and thought and Thank said, God "Thank God we're not in that queue." And then we pulled off off the, the airport. to the airport. We realised it was the wrong airport. It was the wrong. <laughs> the airport we, we were meant to be at was at the end of that queue. <laughs> and we had to turn out to get in the queue. I don't think we're not in there. I mean, there's nothing yeah. more. There's not. There's nothing worse than looking at two kind of, you know, not young people running. I mean, seriously running through an airport with their bags to try to catch a flight. <laughs> was, was... Sweating. Yes. <laughs> I think if TCD has proved one thing, H, I think people need to need to to know more about your life. I think the two of you doing some form of. Of, of kind of reality TV <laughs> version of your escapades. I think. I mean, how can that not be a winner? I don't know. Well, you know, if we took a film crew out, well, there's nothing would happen. Yeah, probably, probably, yeah. Yeah. Well, except divorce. Darling, I'm leaving you for a sound man. <laughs> for, a, for a sound man or for a sound man? Both. Phil Brown, <laughs> Phil Brown is sound. I've said it, I've said it on many occasions. Uh, well, we'll call it a day at that then, shall we? So I'll see you. I'll see you back home next week, will I? Okie doke. In the loft. In the loft. In With your rug. In front of the rug. Yeah. yeah. Right. Perfect. And and you got to come back on at some point, Phil. 
whenever you want, man. I, I mean, I will see you in Oxford, but obviously you need to calm your, yourself down, you know, because you don't want to upstage. Yeah, yeah. No, no, I, I, will, I will do that. I'm, I'm off out for a cowboy hat now. That's me. Uh... Oh, I'll get you one. So as not yeah. to stick out. Do you know where this one's going? <laughs> <laughs> right, I'll see you next time. All right, All right. Take Thank care. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Kelly nicked me keyboard, so haven't got one. Ran off with it, can't really moan. It's his anyway, so I couldn't really say no. I'll use the same piano as I did last week. I've got it recorded somewhere, and here it is. It's the same piano as I used last week It's all I've got Thanks, Phil Brown, for being on my podcast Excellent work, bottom of the barrel Thank you, Phil, for the mixed G&T Excellent stuff Now let's have a look if there are any newbies this week. Now where's my list? Had a look and there aren't any So I didn't really need to bother Right, that does it. I'm off to sound check. Thanks for listening to the Corona Diaries. It featured Steve Hogarth with the insights and me, Ant Short, with the questions. If you enjoyed the podcast, please consider subscribing and maybe leaving a review as this will help others find it. You could even share with other like-minded souls, should the mood take you. This has been an A Short Stories production.